Welcome to Navigating Your Child's Education, a podcast for parents, grandparents, and anyone raising or influencing young people. I'm your host, Laura. On this episode, we are discussing the book Screen Kids, co-authored by Arlene Pelican and Gary Chapman. Our guest is Mrs. Pelican herself. She's an author, speaker, and the host of the Happy Home podcast. She and her husband have three children. Welcome, Mrs. Pelican. Thank you so much for joining us. So nice to be with you, Laura. Thank you for having me. Now, I know you've done a lot of work around parenting, both personally and professionally, and I'd love to hear how did this develop for you as an area of focus and work? Yeah, yeah. a lot of it is is kind of a God opportunity. So we were finding with our kids, we live in San Diego, our kids attend public school, and we just were doing things a little bit differently. You know, we we're reading books and not on tablets, and we weren't doing video games, and we had made just some key decisions when the kids were younger, and we were noticing like, wow, the kids, they're developing like faster than the other kids, you know, like their verbal skills or their ability to talk to other people, et cetera. So we were finding just in our own lives that, wow, when you limit technology, this has been awesome. Like, so we are just having this experience, like this is really working. And then Moody Publishers with Dr. Gary Chapman, they wanted to write a book about technology because so many families were struggling with, my goodness, it seems like it's taking over. What do we do? And they wanted someone to co-author with Dr. Chapman who had children in the home. So that's really how it started. I couldn't have invented it myself. And I've really enjoyed working with Dr. Chapman. And of course, this technology is here to stay. It's nothing that's going to be going away anytime soon. It's going to become greater and greater. Its impact, its influence is just going to get broader and broader in kids' lives. And I think that's why it's so important to have this conversation to talk about, okay, let's just not blindly accept everything that's coming our way, but really think like what's going to be healthiest for our child emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So you actually made these decisions as a parent long before perhaps it was popular. Like you're saying, you were making decisions different. You noticed it was different than others. What prompted that for you all? personally, as a family. Yeah, I think it could be the power of bad. Like if you look, you know, and you see these other kids and you're with their family, but they're staring at the iPad the whole time, you know, and my husband was like, we are not going to have, you know, someday when we have children, that's not going to happen to us. So it was kind of the power of looking around and saying this, we don't really want this. And so my husband and I decided very early on that we wanted to limit that technology. And, and so that's, you know, it was kind of looking around and saying, we, we want our kids engaging with us. We want to play with our kids. We don't want them always just playing with their devices. And obviously the device is not neutral. Like a lot of times we'll think, oh, it's neutral because it's just what you do on it if it's good or if it's bad. But, you know, a neutral chalkboard, you know, like a slate chalkboard, no one was fighting over that, you know, during the little house on the prairie days. So this iPad, there's a reason why your child wants it so much and to realize this is not neutral. This has really been designed to attract the attention, to capture the attention of your child. And being aware of that made us all the more, hey, we don't want our child to have that kind of addiction growing, going forward. So in a nutshell, what is the heartbeat of Screen Kids and how does this book differ from other works that you've authored? 
Yeah. So this one, many times when I author other books, I'm interviewing people, 31 Days to a Happy Husband. I interviewed happy husbands like David Jeremiah, comedian Tim Hawkins, et cetera. And, you know, very storytelling, et cetera. And there's still stories in Screen Kids, but there's a lot more research in Screen Kids than in my typical book, talking about what is happening in the brain, what's happening emotionally in a child. You know, how can you restart your home if it's kind of going the wrong direction? So it's a lot more research-based. And what I'm hoping is that people will be able to read it and get more information. And when they have that information and they actually start acting on it, then that transformation in the home will, will begin as, as they start being taking practical steps, like things like, I mean, they sound so simple, but things like having a screen-free mealtime, that if you're listening to this podcast and if you simply realize, hey, you know what, we've got a screen on in the background, or we're looking down at our phones, you know, my teenager's looking down at the phone all the time at the, at the table. If you'll just realize, you know, that's going to be our first step. We're going to take that mealtime and make it screen-free. And mom and dad will lead the way. So the book is intended to be very practical of things that you can do. You'll start seeing things happen in your home, but it's based in research. It's based in things that, you know, a lot of times a mom might get fired up about this, but maybe a dad is thinking, oh, you know, this is the way of the future. What's the big problem? You know, there's research there that he, that he can look at. I did notice that there are a lot of statistics and information in the book. And I think those are the components of this work that really made me a little bug eyed. <laughs> you know, it's I, I find some of the, the information really alarming when it comes to how screens are impacting, like you yeah. said, kids brains and things like that. So this is sort of an anecdotal observation, but it seems like, you know, as screens have become more popular towards the early end of this trend, parents were excited. Oh, look at all these opportunities. Our kids can learn. There's so many great educational apps and it's something fun for kids to do. And as time has gone on, now we're being inundated with message of warnings and cautionary tales and really alarming statistics. How do you encourage parents to, to try to sift through all that information to, in order to make decisions that are really good for yeah. their families? A really easy grid to use is just think of it as digital vegetables and digital candy. So for instance, there are good things about technology like you were talking about. So your child can learn another language. Your child could you know, go through an art museum in France. Your child could learn how to change oil in the car or listen to a sermon or, or memorize the Bible. You know, they can do all those things online. That's digital vegetables. And you're never going to get in trouble for that. Like you're not going to catch your child at two o'clock in the morning and say, I can't believe you're doing calculus in your room, you know? So that's a vegetable. And those are the good things that technology brings us. And that's why we as parents often will buy the diff different technology because we think our kids need to be there. But then of course there's digital candy and just like in real life, candy is fun in little doses. It's kind of a fun pick me up in the day. So it's a silly cat video or whatever they're watching. You know, it's, it's cute. It's nice. It's a nice little thing. But just like in your real body, you cannot eat candy, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And that's when the problem occurs. Because like I say, if you ask your child, hey, what are you doing right now? I mean, it's 99% probably of the time they're on candy, they're not eating vegetables. You know what I mean? So with all that candy, then that's what the danger is. And in that world, you know, it's kind of like we wouldn't drop off our five-year-old at the mall and leave them for eight hours and be like, okay, good luck. I'll pick you up by the shoes. Okay, buddy. You know, like they're just not able to do that. And it's the same when you give a child a smartphone and say, okay, be responsible. And they're sitting there all day and you think, oh, they're safe because they're at home and they're watching this little cute app, but you don't know 
where that's going. You don't know what else is being told. And the, that's, that's the problem. You know, they had a Wall Street Journal reporter pretend to be a 13 year old, you know, on TikTok. And they were given like 500 videos about drug use. They were giving 100 videos for paid sex, like all these things given to a 13 year old. So we just need to understand when we drop them off, just like we wouldn't just drop them off at a mall thinking who are they going to meet? The same is true online. So it is true. Like, I feel like we cannot be overly, you know, alarmed, you know, you don't want to be this alarmist, like, oh, you know, but there is reason for alarm. And there is reason to be bug eyed to think, no, I don't want my child to to have this, you know, from 2004 to 2014, depression rose 37% and our teenagers. And why such a sharp rise? Well, what happened in 2004 to 2014? We got phones and we got social media and we started judging ourselves by a different standard. We started connecting to a screen instead of to people in real life. And it has those kinds of effects. And we've got to be really, really wary of that. And as you combed through research in order to write Screen Kids, what were some of the things that really popped out to you that had an immediate impact on your own parenting. Yeah, I think the idea of dopamine, you know, my daughter and I, we went on a, a roller coaster and it was super fun, but then the roller coaster at the very end, it got stuck. So we were stuck inside, she was in fourth grade, the restraints wouldn't pull up, we sat there for 20 minutes and then they re-ran the coaster to kind of reset it again. And by the end of it, she was like done. She laid out on the bench and she didn't want to go on anymore because it had been overdone. You know, dopamine's that pleasure, like, yay, we want a roller coaster. And it, it drives us, it, it gives us, all of us, adults, kids, we want that dopamine hit of pleasure, of something to look forward to. It's something positive. But when dopamine is overdone, like if we were to ride roller coasters all day long, you know, my daughter and I, we would definitely, she'd be like, I don't ever want to see a roller coaster again, you know. But what we're seeing for kids is they are having this dopamine experience over and over and over again, whether it's on a video game, whether it's getting a social media like, it's that dopamine that they're, they, they want that pleasure. And then the same pleasure that you know, the same high they had today, it doesn't give the same high anymore. So they need more, they need a more stimulating game, they need a more violent game, or they need more time on the game, etc. And it just opens up this flood. And I think what is dangerous is what uh, Dr. Angie Huberman out of Stanford talks about addiction being the narrowing of what gives you pleasure. And so then for a child who should have pleasure playing soccer or looking at a flower or going to the zoo, you know, all of a sudden they don't want to do these things because they just want a game or they just want to be on their phone or they just want to be on their tablet watching the shows. And that's really dangerous because then that's the only thing that's giving them pleasure. We wanted our kids, you know, and so many of you who are listening, you want your kids have the opposite that as they get older, that's the widening of what gives them pleasure. They realize, oh, I like different kinds of food. Oh, I like different kinds of movies. I like different kinds of books. You want this widening sense of what brings them joy in life instead of this narrowing sense. I love that. And I really like that um, in light of the grid that you shared. It's both simple and I think it's a really good comparison of, you know, vegetables and candy, because I think a lot of times the messages are on those extremes, right? It's the alarmist yeah. side of things where there's absolutely no screen time, avoid it at all, at all costs. Or there's that, well, we don't really need to care about it, right? I mean, can you speak right. to, to the middle of that? I agree with that, what you're saying. It is that balance. So, 
you know, we in our home, we have computers, we have the kids were given computers for school. So they have school laptops and school iPads, and then they use my phone and we podcast and we edit things and we do this. So we were not afraid of technology. We watch movies. And I even say like watching movies as a family, I call that a digital vegetable even, because if you can get every single member of your family watching the same thing together, that's going to bring the family together. It's something common between you. But the thing we didn't do is we didn't give our kids personal devices. So none of the kids have a personal iPad or a personal phone because it's like if you had a bag of M&Ms, like a big family size pack of M&Ms, and I carried it around with me all day, but I told myself, I'm just going to eat 10. Like I'm going to fail every single time, right? No matter how spiritual or how strong self-control I am, because the environment tells me eat these M&Ms. So I have really found for the kids is not giving them their personal phone, that has helped tremendously because the environment says, when you sit down at this MacBook or whatever, you, you go ahead and create your thing, whatever you're doing. But then you walk away from it and you go do something else. But once a child has a tablet or a phone and it's theirs, guess what? It goes with them everywhere they go. And that candy follows them around through every room of the house, tempting them to look at the screen, look at the screen, look at the screen. So that's really how that has been very helpful to us is we just decided decided that the kids would not get a smartphone until at least their senior year in high school and that there would be no video games played in the home and there would be no social media accounts, also possibly the senior year of high school. So my son, who is now a freshman in college, he went all the way through and we did give him the option if he wanted to get a smartphone his senior year, if he paid for it and he didn't want it. So he did not have one. And so we've really kind of seen firsthand that you can have technology, but see, we are in charge of the technology. And by we, I mean my kids, like they decide when they want to use it instead of it being in their pocket and have have had all those habits of turning to it because you want your kids when they're happy, mad, sad, frustrated, stressed, you want them to come to you as parents, maybe come to a youth leader, maybe pray, go to the Bible. Those are the things you want them to do. But when they have that personal device, they're trained, no matter what emotion I'm feeling, I pick up that phone and I, and I respond that way. And that's what we were really trying to not we didn't want our kids so attached to the device because they're going to have their whole adulthood, right, to be have this device in their pocket. So why not experience a childhood and why not have the habits where you are relying on God and other people and not your phone? Hey, parents, I want to hit pause on this episode for just a minute. It's estimated that a student in the U.S. spends nearly 9,000 hours completing their elementary and lower secondary education. When we consider how many hours our kids spend at school, there's no denying the fact that a school has a profound influence on our children. One of the most important decisions we make as parents is where to send our children to school. If you'd like to get to know more about Worthington Christian School, download our free 24-page viewbook available in the show notes. Now, back to our conversation. I imagine that parenting your children different than many of their peers cause some tension at points? Has that been the case? You know, believe it or not, that is not the case. And I know people are like, she's lying. <laughs> so actually during COVID, I had them, I recorded a little documentary. You can find it at happyhomeuniversity.com and it's screen kids in their own words. And I just basically asked the kids at that time they were in sixth grade, 
think probably ninth grade and 11th grade when I, when I asked them the questions, you know, what's it like not having video games? What's it like not having social media? Do you feel left out? You know, do you feel stupid at school? You know, et cetera. And, you know, my kids remember in eighth grade, they had asked like, who's got a phone? And everyone raised their hand except like my son, right? And I'm thinking like, oh, he's going to come home and he's going to complain about that or whatever. But he was like, no. And he was like, mom, no. Like, I know how to do all this stuff that my peers don't know how to do. So at the time he's playing, you know, piano and he can play Marvel music on the piano or he can read huge books about World War II and he knew everything about World War II and he was doing martial arts and he was designing Nerf guns, like he was doing all this stuff. And so he saw, so I think that's a key is make sure that your kids have other interests so that they have things to fall back on. So it's not just like, oh, I don't have a phone or video games. I have no life. But he saw, wow, I know how to do all these things because I have all this time and you're the ones with no life. So honestly, the kids growing up, they have been able to see it, like the, the compare contrast, and they haven't given us, they also know my husband's really stubborn, and they know there's no chance that they'd ever get a phone or a video game out of my husband. You know, they know, so they never really asked. But now as they're older, they can look back and see, like my daughter, when she was in sixth grade, she could already recognize, she's like, mom, when the kids are in class, they're not in class. They're thinking about their video games all the time. Like all my friends that are boys, they're always thinking about when they can get to the video game next and how they're going to do better. And they're never like no one ever pays attention. They don't even care. And she saw how it took over their life. And she knew like, I don't want that. So it's been really interesting. I think if you talk about it and if you're very open about it, and you watch it, what other kids do and talk about that, that your kids will actually come to a place where they'll choose for themselves. Like this is healthier this way. In the first few chapters of Screen Kids, they detail some specific ways that screen time and technology affect our children. You mentioned dopamine earlier, but can you tell us about part of that first part of the book where it really yeah. just affects our children? Yeah. And you know, they're doing this study of, of 10,000 kids in National Institute of Health and just finding out like what makes a child healthy. And they found that if a child will simply do three things, that they'll be much healthier. They will do better on like reading and comprehension tests. They will be, you know, less susceptible to drugs and substance abuse and such. So the things are nine to 11 hours of sleep, one hour of exercise, and two hours or less of digital candy. So these are very, and you know, screen time, I call it digital candy. So these are very basic things, right? You think like, okay, let's have our kids sleeping. Let's have our kids exercising and let's do two hours or less of just mindless, you know, TV time. But what, what's happening to kids now, they don't have those things. They're not sleeping nine to 11 hours. They're showing up to school tired. They're not, they have way more than two hours. They have, you know, more of the averages are more like eight to 10 hours of digital candy and they're not exercising. They're more sedentary. And so that the, those effects, that negative effects of screen time, you can see it, I think, very clearly just in the opposite, that if you just will do these foundational, positive, healthy things, your child will be much healthier. A lot of it is much simpler than we make it sound. You know, uh, they, it's, it's what kids are getting used to. Uh, and so we need to think of what kind of habits do we want our children to form. And then the second section of the book outlines five skills that 
are referred to as A plus social skills. Yeah. And I would love for you to tell us maybe just about one of those. Yeah. You know, you think of the A plus skills in school, like, oh, we want the kids to have A's, but if they have A plus emotional skills, it's much better. And so one of them, for instance, is the A plus skill of appreciation. So this is a skill of gratitude. So if you have a child who is like, thank you, you know, who goes to a restaurant and is served something and looks up and says, thank you, or orders fast food and says, thank you, you know, he or she will stand out among all the other kids because they took the time to say thank you. It's a very simple thing. But if you approach your life with gratitude, think of what your mental health is like, your physical health, your relationships. It transforms everything to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. This changes your whole perspective, your whole attitude. Well, guess what screens do? Screens teach us you can have what you want when you want it. If you don't like this show, don't worry. There's a hundred more. Hey, this, you know, it's taking two seconds to load and the child's like, what's happening, mom? You know, they need it instantly and they need, we need it faster. We need 5G. So, you know, when, when you're on screens, things are very much about me. Like, what do I want? I have choice and I don't have to wait for anything. And when I say I want something, I'm going to order on Amazon and it's going to be on my doorstep tomorrow. So when these things don't happen, when the child has to struggle through math or when the child doesn't get on a team or when a child's friend, you know, says something mean and hurts their feelings, they don't know what to do because it's just like, I'm entitled, man. You guys owe this to me. I have a right. And so we don't want our children growing up with this entitlement. It's not fun to be in the same house with this kind of attitude. So gratitude really is what we're aiming for. And a lot of time it is the postponing. So if they ask for a certain game at Christmas, then it might be like, you know what, buddy, maybe you might need to wait two or three years for that game. And guess what? When they wait for it, they'll be more appreciative of it. For So for us to understand that, you know, we may love our children and may want to give them everything that they want, but by making them wait, it, it does help them to be more grateful for what they have. If a family wants to either revamp the way they're doing technology now or their approach to it with their kids, what are some steps that you encourage parents to take? Yeah. And please know you can restart your home. And that's what the last section of the book is about. And a lot of times it starts with that apology. That's one of the A plus skills, apology, being able to say, I'm sorry, versus, well, it wasn't my fault. Everyone did it this way. I didn't know any better. Right. But it's, hey, child of mine, we've kind of drifted into this. You know, no parent wants their child. They don't sign up to say, I want my child to be addicted to video games. I want my child to have to drop out of college because they don't know how to concentrate in class. I want my child. You know, nobody wants that. We drift into these places. And so for us to say to our kids, you know, I'm sorry. I've been looking at the phone too much myself. I've just allowed you to do too much. We've gotten into some bad habits and that's on me. I'm your parent. I'm the one who's responsible and I'm really sorry. You know, let's go out to ice cream. Let's talk about this. And then you talk about it and it might be a, a change. And I really encourage you make it concrete. Don't make it just like we're going to go on screens less. You know, how do you know? So it might be, hey, we're going to start with a digital Sabbath that one day a week, we're not going to play games. We're not going to watch movies. Instead, we're going to go outdoors. We're going to play sports. We're going to go to board games. We're going to visit people, you know, do something else. And you do have to fill that void with something else. And so a digital Sabbath would be a great idea, uh, taking a break. And, and that includes mom and dad. Getting back that mealtime is a good idea. Getting the screens out of the bedrooms. So if your child is sleeping with their phone, sleeping with a tablet, you can just simply say, just for you to get a good night's sleep, we're going to collect this. We're going to do this for a month. And then we're going to, or you can say we're going to do it indefinitely. And then there's not like a timeline, you know, either way. But give your child that gift of a good night's sleep because it's going to be good for you and for them. So I would start with the mealtime protecting that. 
have a time of the week where you guys get off screens and do it together and then get the screens out of the bedroom, both for the parents too, unless you're an emergency worker. And then if you really need a big reset, you know, you can do a two week reset where you just, all of you go dark for two weeks. And the first days you'll be like, this is crazy. We'll never make it. But by about day four, day five, you're going to be like, hey, we're, we're getting used to this. And by the second week and the end of the second week, you're going to be like, I got my child back. Like, my child is actually nice. I had forgotten. So don't be afraid to do these kinds of resets. They don't cost any money. Uh, they might be hard for you to do at first, but in the end, you'll have a much happier home if you will set these kind of boundaries. Mrs. Pelican, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Parents, thanks for listening in. A new episode of the Navigating Your Child's Education podcast is published on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Make sure to like and subscribe, and the latest episode will automatically appear in your preferred podcast library. 